Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are holy. We bow our life to you. Father, help us to lean only on you. To trust in Christ is enough. And to live a life that glorifies him. Be with us. It's in Jesus I pray. Amen. Please be seated. There are a few pictures that I remember that are firmly ingrained in my mind and that I remember from, my, from the time that Julie and I have been here. A couple of those are when we had our food drive and we had the push the preacher from the pulpit drives and, and we would have those and, and try to fill the stage. I'll be honest with you, you have absolutely overwhelmed me this morning. I expected maybe half that many blankets the first time. I really didn't re think that you would remember that this was the Sunday that we were beginning the blanket drive. Uh, one reason I didn't think that you would remember is because I don't read the bulletin. And so I hadn't been seeing it all that much. And I assume that, that a lot of you also don't necessarily read the bulletin. And since we haven't been pushing it a whole lot from the pulpit up to this point, uh, I was going to use this Sunday to kind of kick off. And, and if this is the kickoff of our drive, I, I think you're going to push the preacher from the pulpit with the blankets by the end of four weeks. Our last Sunday will be the first Sunday in March. I uh, want you to come and, and help. You've seen the pictures when Josh came and, and showed us the pictures of the coat and blanket drive that they had and how many they gave away. Um, you know that there is a great need. This helps their ministry. Um, it's easy for us to give money, but I'm asking you to, to give some of your time to go and to get or to make a blanket so that we can share with them and that they can have the opportunity to share that expression of love and caring for their family and for their children uh, so that maybe they'll give us an opportunity to share the greater gift. And that is the gift of what Christ has offered and gives to us. And so I'm asking you to participate in our, our, our blanket drive that we have, uh, fill the fort, um, and just make it a fortress showing God's, helping show God's love to the people in the Navajo Nation and to those that are a part of that mission work that we help support. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. This morning we're going to be looking at this question, what's real? What is real? Here's the thing about stuff that's real. Anytime that there is something of great value, have you ever noticed that somebody almost instantly makes a counterfeit and they put it up there and, and they put it out there then they're trying to always pass it off as the original and so we're always having to ask that question what's real we've all heard about going downtown New York and and finding I don't, I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong Louis Vuitton purses or or whatever or or this Christmas cups uh, I, I just insulated cups that people went crazy over all of a sudden and you're with that there were always fakes that went out you can find Rolexes and you can find imitation Rolexes and if you are like me and if that's not your thing it's hard to tell the difference between the two isn't it people always have been making counterfeit money and if you look at those two pictures unless you handle money all the time it's probably difficult for you to figure out which one is real, which one is not. 
electronics. You can go online and you can find stuff that's real, stuff that's not real. If you go onto sites like Wish or Toomey or any of those others and, and you see it's a great, I can buy this, this computer that's worth $300 and they're selling it for just $13. It's probably not real. It's probably an imitation or a fake. Some people even make imitation artwork. And if you don't know the artwork, you don't know which one's real, which one's not. I look at those pictures, and if I didn't know where the earring was supposed to be, I couldn't tell you which one's real, which one's not. They both look like something better than I could do. What's the real? What's real? You know, honestly, it's not just about stuff that's counterfeit. It's hard to tell the real from the fake, even when you turn on TV today, isn't it? Or when you look at movies, and it will become even more and more difficult as AI begins to get better and better and better. It's hard to tell the real from the counterfeit, and that's even true in the religious world. There is a counterfeit gospel. And in the time when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, there had already begun to arise a counterfeit gospel. The gospel that is a counterfeit gospel is almost always described as a Christ plus gospel. It's a gospel that says, yes, Jesus Christ is essential, but... You also, in the case of the Corinthians, you also need to follow the law. In the case of, uh, of other situations, some that John will address later, he'll say there, there's a, it's Jesus Christ plus our special knowledge that we have. If you don't understand it the way that we understand it, yours isn't good enough. It's called a Christ plus gospel. And it deals with Jesus Christ and their version of spirituality. And if you don't have their deep knowledge, then you really don't understand. Or if you don't have their, their lifestyle, then you don't understand. Or if you don't have whatever they're adding on to Jesus Christ, yours just isn't good enough. All of the Christ plus Gospels lose a little or a lot of their luster after a time and after a while, don't they? Because a Christ plus gospel can't give you what Jesus Christ came to give you. We'll sing a song at the invitation, Christ alone. And that really is where our salvation is found, is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. In Him alone. It, that Christ plus plus gospel, it may sound great, it, it may even feel right for a time, but if it's not dependent upon Jesus Christ, it lacks the power of Christ, and it also lacks the unfading glory that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ that is built on leaning on Him and trusting in Him. There's a saying that I grew up with, the proof is in the pudding. 
I'm honestly not sure I still understand where that saying came from. Because when I think of pudding, I think of jello pudding. And I think of chocolate pudding, and I think of dessert. And I'm going, what do you mean the proof is in the dessert? But the proof's in the pudding. It's in the living. Is it long-lasting? We're looking at 2 Corinthians in our Sunday morning Bible studies uh, in the auditorium here. And in Corinth, there was a group of teachers who had come to speak to the church at Corinth. And they came with letters from Jerusalem. They had all of the credentials. They had all of the kind words that could be said about them in these letters. And they would come and they'd say, "Uh, we know what you were taught by Paul. We know what you were taught. But we're coming and, and even the church at Jerusalem agrees we have a better knowledge than Paul. And we have more understanding than Paul, and we've read more books than Paul, and, and, and you need to listen to us. Paul, what he taught, wasn't enough. You need what we have to give and what we have to sell. And they came preaching this Christ plus gospel. After all, they've read the right books. They follow the right authors. They follow the right teachers, and those teachers have given them as Andy Griffith would say, the official okie-dokie. These are the people to listen to. And I want you to know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not dependent upon titles, degrees, positions, or prestige. The gospel of Jesus Christ depends upon Christ. And it gets its proof through the transformation of lives that accept Christ. That's where its power is seen and its truth is seen. As I was preparing for this lesson, I saw this slide and I like this slide. Leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts. It's about one life influencing another life. I like that. Truth of the matter is, If credentials gave somebody credibility, if titles give somebody credibility, Paul outranks all of these people who have come to teach the church at Corinth. But it's not about titles and credentials. It's about a heart passionately seeking Christ. In the church to Philippi, Paul writes, If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I'm faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering and becoming like him in his death. And so somehow 
to attain the resurrection from the dead. So back to the original question. What really matters? In your life with Christ, what really matters? In your study and who do you listen to, what really matters? What matters to you? What gives somebody the credibility to listen to them versus all of the other voices that are out there in the religious world? What gives them credibility? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Paul's going to say, are we, be, uh, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You are our letters, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence, confidence comes from God. He's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Do you hear what he said? Your life is the proof of the gospel that I preach to you. Your transformation is enough. There is no life or hope in the Christ plus gospel. If you have to know exactly everything your teacher knows, how he knows it, you'll never get there because hopefully he continues to always grow. But if you know Christ, you're going to find life and you're going to find freedom. For there is freedom in Christ. Paul continues in that chapter to write, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Did you hear what comes with a gospel that's based on Jesus Christ? He says, there's freedom. There's freedom. I have been set free from this bondage of sin that was holding me captive. This pet sin of mine that my whole life revolved around. I've been set free from that. I have been forgiven and I no longer carry that guilt and it no longer has control over me because I've been set free. But you've also been set free from this cage of legalism that says you've got to follow all these rules and if you break any of them, you're back inside of this cage. And none of us 
are able to keep hold of this. Julie and I have been reading through and are almost finished with Deuteronomy, but reading through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And as we read this and I go through and I listen to the law and the minute details of the law, especially of the health code and the food codes, I've come to the conclusion it is absolutely impossible for anybody to spend the night in the, to spend the day in the city. Because even if you had to go to the bathroom that day, you have violated some of the laws of excretion from your body. And you are unclean until evening. And you need to be outside of the city before you can come in. There's no way to keep all of this law. If somebody touches something that's unclean, they become unclean. And if you touch them, you become unclean. And you look at it and you go, there's no way. And that's part of the purpose of the law is to convict us of sin that of myself, I can't be holy. But in Jesus Christ, I'm set free from sin and that. And by the way, this over here tends to be what robs Christians of joy. Because they live in this constant fear of saying, what if? What if? What if? I don't have to, I don't have to live that way. I have, to, I have freedom. But more than that, I have a purpose. I'm supposed to be one that reflects the glory of God. I'm supposed to be one, for lack of a better term, a children's song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And that should be what I blare out by the life that I live. I'm supposed to reflect the glory of God. And how does that happen? Through the last part of that verse. Through the transition that comes, the transformation that comes from the Spirit of God inside of my life. That transformation. Here's the thing about that transformation. I've been studying for a class that Lance and I are going to preach, uh, teach the last Wednesday night of this month. On why do people go to church? Why do Christians go to church? And so we're doing research independently and not even going to necessarily converse with each other much during the process so that we can just have a conversation on stage and a conversation with people that are there on our, that Wednesday night class. And as I've been going through it, the, the Pew Research Group had this interesting quote that said, the longer that you are in Christ, the harder it is to understand the motives and actions of those in the world. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But the longer you're in Christ, the more you become like Christ. And no longer do you think like the world, see like the world, or act like the world. That, that idea gave me a lot of pause because I thought, you know, to a lot of extent that's true. How many times have you watched the news and go, I don't understand. Why are people doing that? And you just leave shaking your head going, they're idiots. No, they're not. They're not in Christ. 
and they need what the Spirit brings to their, to their life. They need that transformation, not only of their position of out of Christ and in Christ, but they need that transformation of mind that is selfish and self-centered to Christ-centered. What the Spirit of God does for us is give us that glory. And by the way, the presence of Christ is not a fading fad. It's not something that comes in now and leaves later. It is transformational and it stays with you and it is ever-increasing presence in your life as you change more and more to be like him. The greatest messenger of a life in Christ in my life was not an evangelist. It's when I began ministry some 40 plus years ago back at Broadway as an intern. And this was when I was an education intern. I hadn't even made it to youth intern yet. The greatest person, the greatest evangelist that gave me this message of transformation was a janitor. His name was Ernest. Ernest lived an humble life, a Christ-centered life. But man, I wanted to emulate. And you always had this, I want to be like you. He wasn't a great, powerful, charismatic figure. He was an humble man that had all of the blessings inside of his life in an humble circumstance that I thought, I want what you have. I want that relationship with God like you have. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. When people start pushing a Christ plus gospel, there's no joy in Christ plus because you can have no assurance. There's no freedom in Christ plus because all you've done is gone from one cage of being captive to sin to another cage of being captive to laws, rules, spiritualities, or feelings. There's no assurance of your salvation because a Christ plus gospel is always partially dependent upon you and not upon him. But when your salvation is dependent upon Christ, you will have in Christ joy. And you'll have hope. Not Ed McMahon hope that says, man, I hope I win the lottery. This is a biblical hope that's called assurance in modern American language. You have forgiveness. You have the Holy Spirit. You have life everlasting. That's what's found in Christ. But it's not found in any time that you throw something and say, besides Christ, you also need to know this. Have this. I'm reminded when I travel 
that nobody really wants an RC Cola. Nobody really wants an RC. What they want is a Coke, but they don't have it, so I'll settle for an RC. Nobody really wants a Dr. Wells or a Mr. Pibb. They want a Dr. Pepper. We don't like those that are the spin-offs. And a real seeker doesn't want Christ plus. They're only going to be satisfied with Christ alone. In Christ. So I want to encourage you, don't settle for the imitation. Grab hold of the real thing. Grab hold of Jesus Christ. Open the book. Read and discover Christ. And what you'll do is you'll find yourself falling in love. And, and I know some of you are going, but Tom, there's a way you respond and accept Christ. Yes, there is. But if that response isn't out of a passion of pursuing him and love for him and faith in him and a love that says, I want to do whatever pleases you. Not out of the law, but out of a genuine heart that says, I want to be with Christ. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. When Peter responds in Acts chapter 2, the first word of that response is what? Repent. Repent. I want you to turn from what you were following. I want you to repent and I want you to be baptized. I want you to enter into this covenant relationship. Why? So that you can receive what he has to give you. I don't earn it. Any more than my son earned his car by catching the keys to this $500 car that Julie and I bought him for his 16th birthday. He didn't earn the car by catching the keys. He just received it. I don't earn salvation. But I can receive it. And I have all of the blessings that come from being in Christ. Our heart should be the heart that Paul demonstrates in Philippians 3 when he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Sharing the fellowship of suffering, becoming like him in his death. And obtain the resurrection. I want to be like him. Too much of the world is following a man a group, those who have special little requirements for them. I want us to be a people that are pursuing Christ and following Him. And when we do, we will accept, we will receive the blessings that He promises for us. This morning we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you'd like to know more about that Christ or if you'd like to respond, we invite you as we stand and as we sing.